0: Well, happy 2022 new semester, spring semester to you all, friends. It is good to be gathered here. I, I got to say, when, uh, when the university was talking about maybe not having uh, the students come back, uh, you better believe I was praying against that. I said, "Lord, we need we need to gather back together and uh, and lean into all that you have for us." And uh, not that I'm trying to be reckless or anything like that. Uh, you know, where we want to stay respecting of all people's you know positions and all those things. Yes, but uh, man, there is as as I was worshiping here in this in this morning service, I'm just reminded that there is power when the people of God gather together in this way. You know, and, and I'm, I'm all for like using technology and all of those things. But, um, you know, man, there, there's just something different when the people of God gather together in this way to offer him praise. And so it's, uh, it's good to be back. Thanks, worship team, for leading us. Uh, it is, um, it's a joy to be gathered in this way. Friends, I hope you had a wonderful break. For those of you who are returning, uh, welcome back. For those of you who are brand new to ACF, a special welcome to you. Uh, my name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at this church, and uh, it's my joy to welcome you here this morning. And I hope, I hope whether you're returning or whether this is your first time with us, I hope that our time here together would be beneficial to you, would be meaningful to you, would be life-giving to you in some way. I, I pray that you would leave here Um, having encountered Jesus in some way, Uh, whether it was through song or whether it's through the message or through the word. uh, Our hope is that your life is changed because you met Jesus. He's the one who changes our lives. And there are people who've been walking with Christ here um, amongst us, and we can all testify to the life-changing work that Jesus does in our lives. And so our hope for you, friends, no matter where you are on your spiritual faith journey, uh, that you would be leaving here having encountered Jesus. And so Uh, That's our hope and desire. And just to that end, we want to say we're glad you're here. As we get the semester kicked off, a brand new semester ahead of us, we also kick off with a brand new series that is starting out today. And we're going to carry it over into the next couple of months here. And we're going to be spending some time in the series called Life in the Wilderness. Life in the Wilderness. Friends, I don't know if you noticed, but we here in Happy Valley are about to enter into a kind of wilderness. Uh, some might call it a wintry kind of wilderness, a blustery kind of wilderness. In fact, we've got some, uh, you know, some, some uh, snow coming our way in, in the next 24 hours or so. And, uh, and not only that, the next couple of months, if you've been here in Happy Valley during this time of year, uh, it is not friendly to the skin. It is not friendly to the soul. You know, the, the months of January, February, and even into March. Some years even into April. Uh, you, you never know with State College weather. Uh, you won't see too many people hanging outside on Old Main Lawn or on Hub Lawn. You won't find people outside playing volleyball or, or, or ultimate frisbee or cornhole. And, you know, you, you might find the occasional beer pongers, you know, but but those are the crazies, you know. But the, 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 ma- the vast majority of us uh, are hunkering down inside behind closed doors. Not only will you see decreased outdoor activities as such, you'll notice that the daylight disappears rather quickly. I don't know about you friends but when the sun goes down at around five o'clock i am ready to shut in and shut down anyone with me it's like i'm done with the day like sun's down day's over you know it's like you can't pull me out and and there's a part of me and i'm sure there's a part of all of us where at around that time this time of the year we're all kind of like yeah this i i don't really feel like trekking out in this kind of wilderness now i grew up in new york so i'm used to some cold weather But I got to tell you, man, State College winter hits a little different. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the wind factor or what. I, I don't know what it is. But it gets ungodly cold around here in Happy Valley. And so in a lot of ways, friends, in a lot of ways, I think it's fair to say that seasonally speaking, we are moving into a kind of wilderness season here in Happy Valley. Now, just as a sidebar before I go any further, if I could just encourage you here I just shared with you the whole spiel about, you know, like we want to shut in and shut down at around 5 o'clock and call it a day. Um, I know that many of us, whether you're involved in a campus ministry or not, uh, we have a lot of activities that happen after 5 (laughs) o'clock. We have a lot of things that happen in the evening. Uh, Life groups, small groups, Bible studies, large group meetings, social events, and all of these things. Friends, if I could just encourage you for the next several months, if you can do everything in your power to fight the urge to recluse yourself, to close yourself in from community and all that God has for you in these different avenues, these different community contexts, I would exhort you, please, fight that urge to stay in and shut in and shut down. And, and, and I promise you, I promise you, in the long run, you will be glad you stepped out into the tundra to make your way over to that group, to make your way over to that study, to make your way over to that gathering. And so uh, let's lean in together here in these next several months. But seasonally speaking, all right, we acknowledge that we're moving into a kind of wilderness. But friends, the kind of wilderness that we're talking about here in this series, the kind of wilderness that I want to talk about throughout the course of the next several weeks is not seasonal, but rather spiritual. Now, though they're different, there are, in fact, some similarities. For instance, in both seasonal and spiritual wilderness, there seems to be an overall decreased activity, right? Things just seem to be a, more, a bit more dead or stagnant. In both seasonal and spiritual wilderness, you know, th- things don't seem as vibrant or as lively. In both seasonal and spiritual wilderness... Our human instinct, as we just talked about, our human response is to retract and find refuge from the wilderness. But friends, what if I were to tell you here this morning that God actually wants us to lean into the wilderness... To not run from the wilderness, but rather lean into the wilderness. What if I were to tell you that the wilderness, spiritually speaking, is actually a critical space where God does some of his most significant soul-shaping work in our lives? What if I were to tell you that those times in our lives where we look around and things just seem to be spiritually dead or stagnant? We don't seem to be making much spiritual progress or forward movement at all. Have you been there? Right? Like, I wonder if you've been there. You look around, you're like, there's not a lot of good spiritual jujus going on in my life. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's not a whole lot of forward movement. In fact, I feel like I'm just kind of stale. I'm I'm just kind of stagnant here. What if I were to tell you that those moments in our lives become incredibly important and profound in the development of our spiritual journeys? You see, over and over again, when you look at how God shapes people in Scripture... It's often in the wilderness that he does some of his best and most important work. Now, before we go any further, some of you might still have the question in the back of your minds, what in the world is this spiritual wilderness you speak of? You know, like, I, I, get, the, I get the seasonal wilderness, but, but what is this spiritual wilderness you speak of? You know, with all this talk about life in the wilderness, some of us might still be struggling to grasp what we mean by a spiritual wilderness. And so let me define it this way. We'll just use this as a working definition. This is by no means a scholarly definition. This is just a definition I came up with that I'm going to be kind of uh, using as a backdrop for this series. And, and we'll define wilderness this way. Wilderness is a difficult period of testing or trial marked by a sense of separation from God, often accompanied with feelings of isolation desolation, and great need. What is the wilderness? The wilderness is often this difficult period of time that is, that, that, that is marked by testing or, or trial. And, and it comes with it, this sense of separation from God. We look around and we say, God, where are you? God, are you doing anything? Are you moving in my life? This sense of detachment from God, and it's often accompanied with feelings of isolation, desolation, and great need. Now, hearing that, you might be wondering to yourself, why in the world would you ever want me to lean into that? That sounds like an awful idea. Like, that's the stuff I run from, Dan. Like, that that is not something that... Like, why in the world would God ever want me in that state? Why would God ever desire for me to be in that kind of condition? And that is precisely the question I'm hoping to answer for the next bunch of weeks as we look at various folks in the Old Testament, these ancient sojourners, if you will. I want to look at these stories and how God brought these people into a kind of spiritual wilderness. And my hope in all of this is not to brutally punish us or to, you know, to... to, make us, you know, gluttons for for punishment or anything like that. My hope is that you'll begin to see through their lens and through their stories that God indeed teaches us some of the most profound lessons that can only be learned in the trying of the wilderness season. There are some things, friends, in our lives that can only be learned through testing and the fire that God brings us through in life in the wilderness. And today... I want to take us all the way back to the first ever wilderness experience. And that can be found in Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. If you have a smartphone, you can take that out. Genesis chapter 3 is where we'll be looking here today. And not only are we going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3, but we're going to be looking at all of Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at the whole chapter. And so uh, I think it's important, friends, that we get the full picture here. And so we're not going to just take a portion out of Genesis 3 or just a a segment out of Genesis 3. We're going to get the whole full picture by reading the full passage here in Genesis 3. And so buckle in, get ready. I think it's going to be a really beneficial time as we unpack God's Word here. In fact, I've asked Maggie to come up and uh, she's going to read today's text for us and as she does I I would love for you to receive God's word here today with an open heart and an open mind. And so Maggie come on up and uh, read for us Genesis chapter 3 if you would.
1: Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day.
0: Amen. Thank you, Maggie. Friends, um, this passage, if you're familiar with it, is part of the larger creation narrative as documented in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And this passage that we just heard here this morning is in particular is famously known as the fall or the fall of man or the fall of mankind. But today, I'd like to take a little bit of creative liberty and rename this section just for our time here today. I'd like to rename it from Garden to Exile. In fact, that's the title of today's message, From Garden to Exile. And uh, you, can, you can think about it this way, From Garden to Exile, we, we call it this because in many ways, that's exactly what happened here in this text. Adam and Eve went from Garden to Exile. And, and folks, isn't it true that oftentimes that's what it feels like when we move into a kind of wilderness, it feels like we move from the garden of paradise to the deserts of exile. And as we witness Adam and Eve making this transition from garden to exile, we discover a couple of wilderness principles that I want to look at here for the remainder of our time here this morning. A couple of wilderness principles that I think would be helpful for us to grab hold of for those times when God brings us into these wilderness places. There are two in particular, two principles in particular I want to look at here this morning that I want to mention as we look at the Genesis chapter 3 account. And the first one is this. Sometimes our sin is what drives us into the wilderness. Sometimes our sin is what drives us into the wilderness. Now, friends, I say sometimes because it is not always our sin that drives us into the wilderness. As we'll see later on throughout the course of the series, uh, Job, for example, was brought into a kind of wilderness experience. And not because of sin. In fact, the, the text is clear. This guy was a righteous man. This love, love the Lord. He worshipped God. Jesus himself, who was sinless, was led into the wilderness. Right In, 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 in the gospel account, you, you see this Jesus being led into the wilderness by whom? The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit himself led Jesus into the wilderness. And so it is not always our sin that drives us into the wilderness. But would you know, sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. And that was certainly the case for Adam and Eve. But now the question is, what was Adam and Eve's great sin? What was Adam and Eve's great sin that moved them from garden to exile? Now, some might say it was eating of the forbidden fruits. right? That's obvious. Yes, yes, it was. They eat of the forbidden tree. And yes, it was disobedience, right? At the crux of it, it was disobedience to a direct imperative, a direct command from God, God made it very clear. Don't eat of this tree. And they directly disobeyed God in that way. And so I, I say yes to all of those things. Yes, that, they, they, they fell into sin in all of those ways. But you have to ask yourself the question, Why? What caused these guys to disobey in this way? What caused this, this, them to eat of this tree and to eat of this fruit? Well, there are two dynamics at play here that I want to point out. Two dynamics at play that were present in Adam and Eve and two dynamics at play that I believe are present in every one of our lives that puts us at risk of driving our sin right into, driving us right into the wilderness by way of sin. The first dynamic that was at play here is, number one, they distrusted God. They distrusted God. But number two, they wanted to be God. They wanted to be God. Number one, they distrusted God. And number two, they wanted to be God. Now, if you listen to what the enemy says through the serpent, he says, is that really what God said? Right? Did God actually say that? In other words, do you really believe him? Adam and Eve, do you really trust his heart? Do you really trust what he's saying to you? Would you really take this God at his word? You see, one of the greatest tactics of the enemy, believe it or not, is to lure us into a place of deep trust in the heart of God. It's to lure us into this place. Now, if the enemy can get us to second-guess the promises of God, if the enemy can get us to question the authority of his word, if the, if the enemy can get us to doubt God's very nature and his intentions for our lives, friends, I'm here to tell you, the enemy has already gained some ground. He has already gained momentum. In many regards, he has already won the battle right there. When he lures us into this place of deep trust in the heart of God, the enemy has already gained access to our heart. Because the only natural next step from there is to be your own God. If you don't trust this God, what other, what other alternative do you have other than to be your own God? And that was the second dynamic at play here with Adam and Eve. The enemy convinced them that God was no longer trustworthy. And from there, he convinced them that if they eat of this tree, their eyes will be open and they will be like God. They will hold the power to determine right from wrong, good from evil. They will be in ultimate control of their destiny. Creation now takes place of the creator. And when that dynamic shift occurs, I'm telling you right now, all kinds of room becomes opened up for immorality and sin to come into play in full effect. You see, what Adam and Eve heard in that moment was, okay, so, so what you're telling me, serpent, is that I can determine what's best for me. That sounds great. So so what you're telling me is, I can play God in my own universe. I can play God in my own world. What you're telling me is that I can chart the course for my life without any regard. I don't have to trust or listen to the one who created me, but rather I can choose to go my own way and to live my life in the ways that I so choose and I so please." Is that what you're telling me? Because if that's what you're telling me, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Give me the fruit, I'll take it now. Give me the, give me the, give me the apple, give me the pomegranate, whatever whatever kind of interpretation you might have at that moment, I want it, because that sounds like a great deal to me. Now friends, isn't this the dominant posture of our world today? Isn't this the, Is this not the normative way of thinking ...for our time here today. Yes, yes, yes. You determine what's best for you. don't, don't, Don't let anyone tell you what's best for you. You determine what's best for you. You do indeed play God in your own life... ...in your own universe. You don't have to listen to anyone... ...but rather you can choose to live your life... ...however you please. And don't you dare let anyone tell you otherwise. And the truth is... ...we praise this kind of thinking... We extol this way of thinking. We don't see this as sin, we see this as our rights. This is not sin, Dan. This is this is my rights as a human being. I get to choose what's right for me. I get to choose what's best for me. I don't have to listen to anyone. I'm gonna go live my own life how I please. We call this the American way. We call this my freedom. Now this this message might hit you like sounding like real un-American. You know, and, and, I, and that's not what that is. In fact, though, know, I, I, I was born here, okay? I am an American, okay? I, 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 I am red, white, and blue like anyone else in this country. So this is not anti-American. But what I think tends to happen within Christian circles, with especially within American churches, we conflate the American ways with the ways of God. And we say... Freedom is the way of our world, it's the way of our society, it's the way of our culture, therefore God must be about that. Do you know how many times Jesus comes on the scene and he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you thought things were like this, but things are actually like this in my kingdom. You thought this was the right path, you thought this was the right path to walk, but friends, I tell you, but I say to you. And so, so we, we think about this. You're like We hear the message of the serpent echo even in our, our narratives that we hear today in our society today. You live your own life. You be your own God. You can choose your own way. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. You don't need to submit to anyone. And we praise this kind of way of thinking. And so the question is, how is this sin? Okay? Dan, tell me how, like, because I I subscribe to that kind of way of thinking. so, So tell me, how is this sin? When you trust someone or something more than you trust God, when you give greater weight to the words or the thoughts or the opinions of others more than you do the word of God in your life. When you place greater confidence in a situation or circumstance in your life more than you do in God's activity in your life, you have effectively dethroned the creator of your life and you have enthroned that person, that thing, that situation, that circumstance as your God that you now follow. Because listen now, you will ultimately follow that which you trust. Right, no, none of us follows things we don't trust. Right, you, know, you, you take anything in life, you take a sketchy review from a restaurant, you're like, ah, I don't trust that, so I probably, I'm going to stay away from that. Or, you know, you 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 hear, you know, the, these promises from, from people in public forums and public spaces, and you're like, ah, eh, I don't trust this heart. I don't, I'm not going to follow him. We ultimately follow that which we trust. And so, when we place greater trust, when we place greater confidence in anything but God, there's a word for that in the Bible that is called idolatry. Now, we don't talk much about that in in America, right? Like, we don't talk about that much in our ways of freedom. Idolatry is not a, a word that we use. And yet, the Bible continues to come back to this, back to this, back to this idea that when you place your trust, In something or someone, more than you place your trust in God, what will consequently happen is you begin to follow that thing. You begin to orient your life around that thing or that person or that situation. And what you have effectively done is you have made that thing your God. But then this this becomes so twisted. There's this this twisted version of then now you trying to be your own God. And the Bible has a word for that. That is called self-idolatry. Self-idolatry. Did you know that the message of Christianity is not one of independence, but it's one of complete dependence? I, I, I once heard a, uh, a pastor friend of mine describe the, the Christian life this way. He, he said, you know, a lot of people call Christianity a crutch. Right, it's like, it's, it's, religion is a crutch. How many of you heard of that, right? Like, religion is a crutch. Christianity is a crutch. And he's like, no, man, Christianity is not a crutch. It's a hearse. It's, I am dead. I'm not, like, just kind of limping my way through life and just attaching Jesus to it. I am dead in my sin, but Jesus makes me alive in him. Right, I am dead. There's Like, I can't, Jesus himself said, you can't do anything apart from me right like and so so this, this idea that that like christianity is about independence is this false uh, this false gospel the true gospel is this one of complete dependence where we understand apart from jesus we can do nothing we were never designed to play our own god but rather we were designed to walk in the garden in the cool of the day hand in hand with our creator and our maker leading the way We follow him first and foremost. We sang about it earlier, Jesus, we give you our affection, we give you our adoration, we give you our lives. That's what, that's what Christianity is really all about. It is orienting our lives about following after him. And so, friends, we've got to reckon with this reality, this dynamic that's not only in play with Adam and Eve, but inside of all of us. We all have this propensity to distrust God, to question his intentions, to question his heart, and then that leads us then to be our own God in our own lives. By the way, isn't it interesting? (laughs) Isn't it interesting that the very thing that drives us into the wilderness, our distrusting God and our desire to be God, isn't it interesting that the very thing that drives us into the wilderness is often our go-to response in the midst of the wilderness? What do I mean by that? For those of us who have ever had a wilderness type of experience, Spiritually speaking, isn't it true that our tendency is to lose trust in God? It's like, God, I thought you cared about me. I thought you were for me. I thought you were always with me. But that's not what my experience around me tells me. So there must be something wrong with you. There must be something wrong with the assumptions that I've held on to up until this point. You actually must not be fully trustworthy. Trustworthy. Did, 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 did God actually say that? Do you really trust him at his word? In those moments of wilderness, we, we experience this deep level of distrust in God, which then leads us to seek to gain control by playing our own God. If you've ever been in a wilderness experience, maybe you're like me. We try to get ourselves out of the wilderness as quickly, as painlessly as possible. We try to fix what's wrong around us. We try to fix what's wrong and what's going awry in our lives. and In many ways, it feels like this hopeless cycle. Friends, I'm here to tell you there's good news. A lot of people look at Genesis 3 as the fall. That's the bad news, nothing but bad news in Genesis 3. But, oh, there's good news in Genesis 3. Sure, it's where sin entered into the world. Sure, it's where Genesis 3 is where all of paradise was lost and and everything went awry for all of humanity and all of... Yes, that is what happened in Genesis 3, but there's actually this small little glimmer of good news in Genesis 3... And here's where we come to the second wilderness principle for today, and this is so vital that we get this. Though our sins sometimes drive us into the wilderness, God is tirelessly gracious even in the wilderness. God is tirelessly gracious even in the wilderness. Did you notice what God did before Adam and Eve went into exile? In verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, He clothed them. He clothed them. You see, this this is how I know I would never make a good God. (laughs) can i just say that i would be so ticked with adam and eve like i mean i made it so clear guys you got the whole garden you got all authority in your hands and you're gonna screw it up over over one bite of a fruit. like i told you just that one tree just just stay away i'm telling you like my flesh would kick into overdrive, right? Like, and I I'd just leave them out to dry. I would just, out of spite, I would take away their fig leaves. I like, I just like, you thought you had shame. Let me show you what shame looks like. I take away that and I'd have them sit in their naked shame until I was good and ready to let them out of timeout. You know what I mean? Like, that's like that's how I would handle the situation. Okay, for the record, that's not how I parent. Okay, that, that just just so you know, don't call CPS or anything like that. It's just you know, the, to, to me, there is something in me that would have been like, ah, you deeply offended the thing that I constructed around you for your good and you chose to go the other way. Oh, but thank God I'm not God. Amen? (laughs) Thank God you're not God. Thank God that our God is tirelessly gracious with us. He never grows weary in his kindness toward us. He never treats us with contempt as our sin ought to to call for. Even in our sin, he cares for us. He clothes us. He showers us with his grace and mercy. He says, you got fig leaves? I got something better for you. Let me clothe you. You see, when we play our own God, all we're doing is settling for the substitute, a far lesser substitute for what God has for us. See, Adam and Eve thought, you know, let's, we're in shame here. We're naked. We realize what's happening here. Let's sow fig leaves together. And God, out of his tireless grace over Adam and Eve, says, no, no, give me that. Let me give you something better. Even in our sin, God graciously pours out his mercy upon us. And no matter how many times we may distrust him, and no matter how many times we try to play our own God, God is tirelessly gracious toward us. That's good news, friends. That is good news. As we continue on in the series, you'll begin to see just how tirelessly gracious God is towards us in the wilderness. It's absolutely crazy. A lot of us think, where is God in, in my wilderness? Where is God when God seems distant? What you'll discover is that he's actually closer than you think. He's actually much nearer to you than you might sense. And as we unpack this series in the coming weeks, my hope is that you would see and experience the tireless grace of God in your life. Maybe some of you are in a wilderness season, a wilderness experience today. Maybe you've been in this season for quite some time. My prayer and hope is that you would experience the tireless grace of God. Let me conclude with this one last story. In fact, the worship team, you guys can come on up and uh, prepare to close us here. This past week, I was at the gym, um, and uh, I was stopped by someone uh, as I was packing up and and about to leave, and uh, this gentleman and I met a while back, apparently, and uh, I I don't recall uh, meeting him, but, but he remembered that I was a pastor, and you know, and he stopped me. Um, he was—he wanted to tell me uh, about a friend in his life, uh, who had a daughter, and uh, I believe this daughter uh, is in college. and And he was telling me, this uh, pastor, this this daughter um, of, of our friends of ours—they, she she wants to, she wants to live her own life however she pleases. She. She just kind of wants to go out and, and, and do her own thing. And he, and he sort of correlated her story with the story of the prodigal son. And, and he said how similar these two stories were. And, and he mentioned how, you know, he even said that this daughter basically went to the parents and asked for her inheritance. You know, it was that kind of language. Now, I don't know exactly what that looked like, but but it was a sense of I disown you and, and I choose this, and I choose my own way, I choose my own path. And, And he mentioned, for obvious reasons, how the family was concerned for the daughter and how they didn't want her to go down this route. But they felt like, ultimately, they had no choice but to let her. Sometimes our sin drives us into the wilderness. And upon hearing that story, I shared a little bit of my own prodigal journey. Some of you may have heard it at, at one point or another. It's, it's, it's not you know, a secret or anything like that where, where I went through a similar path where though I grew up in the church, I hit a point where I said, ah, screw all this. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to I do my own thing. I want to live my own life. I want to go my own path. And I went through sort of my own prodigal story, if you will, and uh and and maybe you can resonate with that as i reflected on my story and as i reflected on the story that my my friend here uh, right in the middle of the gym floor we were we were talking he was sharing with me i'm reminded and i reminded my friend that the good news of christ that we have in him is that god's grip on our lives is far stronger than any of our grip on the world you know, when I was running away from the Lord, I thought I wanted the things of this world. I really did. I was, I was fully convinced of that. And I'm sure this daughter uh, of their friend, I'm sure she's fully convinced that she doesn't need God. She doesn't need faith. She doesn't need the church. She wants all of what. You can have all of this, right? The serpent said, you can. your eyes will be opened. You can have all of this. You know, and there's a some, something in us that says, "I want to grasp for the things of this world," and I'm reminded. And, and, and if I had time, I would unpack just a little bit more of my own journey and how I've come to this realization. But in the end, after all is said and done, I just I am fully convinced. I'm so so fully convinced that God's grip on my life is so far greater than my grip on anything of the world. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so grateful for that. Because if God let me go and, and chase after the things of, of this world, man, I, I don't know what kind of state my life would be in today. In the prodigal story, son, the, 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 the son, he doesn't die out in the streets. He doesn't die out in the city. He comes running back to the father, and the father embraces him. Our God is tirelessly gracious with us, even in the wilderness. Even in those moments where we are inclined to lose trust in God, even in those moments where we are inclined towards sin, God in Christ Jesus showed us that he still cares for us and he clothes us, even if we move from garden to exile. That's the kind of God we have, friends. That's the kind of God we serve. And that's the kind of God I would love for us to fix our eyes upon when we go through life in the wilderness. Won't you pray with me?